Welcome to the Markets Measure Podcast, a forum for in-depth discussions with some of the investment community's most prominent thought leaders, product innovators, and portfolio managers. I'm Brad Ziegler, your host, and I'm happy to welcome two representatives from American Century Investments today to discuss the utility of convertible securities. Joining us is Edward Rosenberg, an American Century Senior Vice President and Head of the firm's exchange-traded funds. Before joining American Century Investments in 2017, Ed was a senior vice president and head of ETF Capital Markets and Analytics at Northern Trust's FlexShares. That stint followed his tenure as a director and head of capital markets and analytics at Russell Investments. And prior to that, Ed was an ETF product manager at Vanguard. We're also fortunate to have Rene Cassis, an American Century Vice President and Portfolio Manager with us. Rene joined the company in 2018, coming from a partnership position at 55 Institutional Partners, where he was responsible for the oversight of portfolio management and trading. Previously, he was an investment strategist and senior portfolio manager for iShares. There, Rene's tenure ran 19 years, spanning both the BlackRock and Barclays Global Investor Years. Well, those are some pretty impressive resumes, gentlemen. You both got ETF chops. I'd like to welcome you to the podcast, and I hope you've both been well. Thank you for having us, Brad. I'm going to kick off our chat with you, Ed. Today's topic du jour is convertible securities. As market volatility has spiked recently, converts have been one of the better performing alternative investment categories. And your recently launched American Century Quality Convertible Securities ETF, perhaps better known as QCON for its uh, QCON ticker symbol, is leading the pack. QCON draws its components from a benchmark convertibles index, but it's not a slavish tracker like its competitors. And in its early going, the fund's outperforming a number of longer live index ETFs on a number of metrics, such as gross returns, sharp ratio, and alpha versus the Bloomberg aggregate bond index. So tell us, Ed, what is it that sets your fund apart from the field? So to start off, Brad, I think the thing that sets us apart is sort of what we're embedded with American Century's history. We're active, we're not indexed. And the process that the fund goes through, uh, it's, I'm gonna use a word that doesn't always make sense, but I would say it's a quantum mental approach. We take both a quantitative approach and an active approach to building this product. Cause we wanna put the best product forward in a space that's been long dominated by index products. And the way we put it together is we run through a screen and really come out with what we would deem or what a portfolio manager would deem as quality convertible securities. And so once we do that, the portfolio manager is left with a, I'll just say a plethora of security to choose from of how he wants to build the portfolio. And in this case, the way they build the portfolio is they're looking for some optimal ideas. They don't want to overweight. For example, the index in the past has had huge weightings to Tesla as an example. Is that good or is that bad? And the portfolio manager makes those decisions based on how they feel the market conditions are, what they feel Tesla is doing at the time, right? And so in some cases, it would be good to have that weighting. In other cases, it would be bad. And so as they move forward, they make those decisions 
trying to capture, in a sense, not significantly overweight or underweight a specific sector by say, but really looking for an optimized portfolio that they feel represents the quality market and eliminating some of the risks you can get by some of the non-quality securities or bad securities, if you want to call them. And in addition to that, really taking strategic placement of those securities so that we don't or bet too much on an individual security or bet too little based on what we deem as a quality security. Great. Good to know. Now, I'm going to throw something out to you both. Uh, our listeners want to know more about the convertible markets itself and specifically how convertibles could benefit investors in the current environment. So who'd like to tackle that first? Well, I can start. Um, so I would say that when we think about convertible bonds, and I think just to start off uh, for the, our audience, uh, what a convertible bond is, is a security that is a hybrid in nature. So it has characteristics of both a bond and an equity. Um, what, uh, what it, it trades in the market, very similar to a bond. It has uh, m- many of these uh, of convertible bonds have a, um, a yield component to it, which means we get coupon payments on a regular basis, very similar to a bond. Um, in many cases, it prices like a bond. So we think of pricing um, in terms of uh, a level relative to its par value. Um, but the, uh, where it, the hybrid nature uh, starts to uh, kick in is where it has a uh, optionality to the holder or the investor to convert to, the, uh, to equities. Um, and so it, um, what it allows uh, um, companies to do is it allows, to, um, allows companies to access investors who sit on a, uh, a capital tier that is in between both um, you know, fixed income and equities. Uh, and so uh, these markets are generally uh, more towards uh, mid and smaller cap companies um, looking to raise capital. And it will um, have, uh, and they tend to be more growth theater type of companies. And so what it means for an investor is that it does have access to growth companies, um, but with yield. So in general, growth companies generally, uh, in general, have a, a relatively lower um, yield. There's, you know, there's uh, growth companies that pay very little to no dividends. And what this allows investors to access is to access growth uh, exposures um, with uh, a yield component. Okay. And Ed? So let me add on to what Renee said, because the, the convertible market always feels complex, right? Because you're, you're talking about securities. So think about what Renee said. They trade like a bond, or they trade like a, a bond, but they have characteristics of a stock, right? There's other parts of the bond market that behave in, in I'll call it wonky ways, different than you would expect a traditional bond. But what makes this so interesting is I think the part that Renee said at the end, right? You talk about getting exposure to growth stocks, especially in these volatile markets. What you find with converts because they pay yield is that their downside risk tends to be tapered a little bit compared to the individual security that they're convertible against. Some of that is the yield. And so when you think about the yield, you can get out of this, right? You're talking about, you're not talking like 5%. Wouldn't that be great? You're not going there. You're really talking something like one to one and a quarter, 
right? And some of that is going to creep up with where we've gone with rates over time as more convertibles come out. But you're not talking this grandiose yield. But if you think about it, you know, for years, if you've invested in these high growth stocks, you've never gotten a yield. And so where investors can really feel comfortable, in a sense, using something like this could be to replace some growth stocks to try to generate a little more yield. And in this volatile market, we've seen some of that happen where investors have been searching for yield in so many places out there, but most people don't talk about searching it for growth. And it's not like the yields that, you know, one to one and a quarter is the most amazing yield ever, but it's certainly better than you get from growth to begin with. And if you can come with a little downside protection is the way I'm going to say it, not fully capture the full downside exposure of when the growth stocks drop. That seems to be a good combination of where you're seeing investors think about these and using convertibles in this type of market. Well put, well put. Yeah, and, I'll, and I'll add to that a little bit here on performance, sure. um, if you don't mind. In you know, if, if we think about you know, just to stick on, just to stay with this growth theme, if we look at where um, growth stocks are performing, uh, you know, if we look at some of the major indices, you know, year to date they're down twenty percent with a volatility of you know twenty three percent, twenty four percent. You compare that to convertible bonds, you know, convertible bonds as a market as a, as a whole um, is down. 12%. So, you know, we're still down double digits, but if you compare that to, you know, what you would get if you were to invest in growth equities directly, you can see that the that the um, the downside protection is very much apparent there. Um, and then when we when we look at the risk, the actual realized uh, volatility, um, we're at somewhere around 15%. So, we're seeing the benefits of, you know, the convertible bond markets are, you know, the, the, are, are manifesting its benefits in these current market conditions. We're in a high vol high equity volatility market uh, with, uh, you know, with a with a very uh, very significant drawdown. Uh, with convertible bonds, you're seeing less drawdown and significantly less volatility. Good, good point. Now, going along that line, Renee. I, I think you'd agree that convertibles are fairly well correlated to the broad equity market. I mean, correlation coefficients for your fund and its competitors run in the 60s and 70s when last I saw. And that seems to say that the addition of converts to a portfolio really isn't a diversification trick. But then I asked myself, well, is it? I mean, if the underlying equities rise, converts should rise with them. And if, if stocks weaken, well, converts are going to likely slump as well. But if the converts were bought at or near par, investors would get their money back at maturity, less the inflation haircut, of course, and earn coupon payments along the way. So let's talk about the security selection process a bit. How important is the securities price when you consider portfolio purchases? And is that becoming an even more important consideration as the markets sell off? Oh, well, that, that's a, so that's a great question. And, and it's one that has um, that I sort of, you know, think about in, in sort of different angles, right? So I, I think what you're saying is 
I would I certainly agree. I mean, I, I think one of the benefits, um, and particularly, you know, through an active management approach, uh, when we are identifying issuers, uh, and again, this is sort of, this is going to dovetail a little bit about what Ed was talking about, is our initial screens are to identify companies that are issuers of high quality. So what I mean by that is we're looking for issuers that have a um, relatively strong balance sheet and um, an earnings growth that is stable over time. And so we're, we're looking at a variety of different metrics um, and scoring each of these issuers and uh, ultimately um, filtering for the higher quality um, issuers. And then from there is where we start to um, really start to uh, go deeper into our portfolio construction process. And so we're looking at things, we are looking at things like um, sector exposures, right? And, 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 and trying to position our sector exposures uh, that is commensurate with the market conditions. So for instance, in this current environment, we are leaning more towards defensive sectors. So we, we are, you know, relative to the convertible bond index, we're overweight sectors like utilities, underweight sectors like information technology. Pricing is going to be important for us when we are when we're trying to position the portfolio. For sure, when we're thinking about um, execution, and if we can execute below par, um, that is going to provide upside potential to our to our to our performance. Um, the yield is going to be something that we think about as well. Um, the, the, the the purpose for this strategy is to provide exposures to growth companies and uh, provide uh, a yield component on on top of that, but there's a there is there are, the, the convert the convertibility does play um, a, a, as a factor into our decision making, which means that at times we may um, it may be okay to to there's still upside potential I should say to executing above par um, if we're thinking about the intrinsic value of the overall intrinsic value of the convertible bond because of that equity component. And that gives us additional, that can give us, that convertibility can give us a potential additional upside if we were to convert to the equities and participate in the full upside capture of, of that issuer. And so what you mentioned earlier, I thought was interesting because um, you talk about the performance as, as equities go down or up so does the convertible bonds. And that is true, but the degree to which they go up and down is different from equities. And so we measure that um, metric using Delta. So that's um, the Delta component uh, calculation for each convertible bond um, tells us the sensitivity of the pricing of that bond to the equities. So the higher the that Delta number means that the more it's going to act, the, the performance is going to act more like the equities, the lower means it's going to act more, more bond-like. So we try, we try to create a more balanced approach um, to this. And, and you know, we, we're sort of running the portfolio right now at a, at a 0.6 delta, which means, you know, we're not, you know, and if we're comparing that to something like a 0.8 or a 0.9, um, that would mean that it would, it's going to very much act. It's almost like, you know, at that point, why buy the convertible bond when you can buy the, the, the equity? 
so that's that that's what this delta number gives us it gives us this this idea of or, or quantifies that decision making of whether we should buy a convert where whether an investor would prefer to purchase an uh, convertible bond or prefer to purchase the equity or conversely prefer to um to to uh to buy that to, to buy the, the the bond directly so this delta number sort of gives us that and if we're if we're thinking about a range of a you know like let's say a 0.4 to 0.8 that gives us a wide variety of selection um, in order to create a diversified portfolio in aggregate you know running the portfolio at around a 0 0.6 0 0.7 delta gives us those we feel gives us those benefits that maximizes the benefits of, of owning a convertible bond when we think about owning a convertible bond we have to remember that it isn't like it isn't the equity so it does limit that upside capture um, but it does protect on the downside. And I think that is the component that we, we really want to focus on. Um, and, and that is, and that is the, the and, and, and collectively, that, that's what we look at when we're constructing the portfolio. We're also looking at things like, again, sector, sector exposures. We're, we're trying to identify high quality issuers. And we are, we are trying to understand um, the yield as well um, and, 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 and deliver sort of a, diversified uh, approach to um, an active approach to to creating this portfolio relative to say that of an index. And I think this is where the active management component tends to be um, quite important um, is that in, within an index construct, um, it is ultimately a representative of a market. So the index is ultimately going to weight an issuer by the size of its debt issuance. Um, which seems counterintuitive that you would invest more in an issuer that ha that takes on more debt. And so what we're trying to identify are, are good credit quality um, issuers, good yield, and then think about that sensitivity to equities and position the portfolio appropriately to where the market is. And I think this is where the, again, with active management, we're not tied to when an index makes a change. What we are doing is we are responding to market conditions and information that we're receiving um, that we where we think the markets are going to be, and to be able to position the portfolio appropriately to be prepared for um, what's to come. Okay, so it seems that we can we can look forward to uh, perhaps a throttling of that delta sensitivity for the overall portfolio uh, according to market conditions. Holding all else equal, of course. Yes. Okay. Correct. That's right. Within that and if, range you know, as we're starting to see ball, yeah, we have a range. Well, well where where we where we optimally range is anywhere is anywhere between sort of a 0.4 to a 0.8. So slightly below that, you know, sort of half, you know, 50% sensitivity, all the way up to 80%. Um, and then, you know, again, we're looking at things like where where do we think volatility is going to go? Inflation is going to play a role here. Um, you know, a lot of macro economic data is going to um, and, and market conditions are going to help us um, inform us um, as to where we want to position the portfolio. And so we have seen that delta range. Um, you know, we, we've seen that delta range fluctuate um, in response to, to, to uh, the current conditions. What we have done is start to gravitate more towards that lower delta um, exposure, given the, uh, given where the markets have we're we're indicating um, at the start of the year, and those decisions, as we as you can see through our performance, um, has has paid off. Great.
Thanks for that. That was a uh, that was enlightening. Now about uh, about the general marketplace and specifically about your your funds place in that marketplace. Can you talk about uh, Ed? the resources available to our listeners if they're interested in learning more about convertible securities and QCon, should they head to the American Century's website? And if they do, what would they find there? Yeah, so, uh, excuse me, um, they should go to AmericanCenturyETFs.com and you'll see a full list of all the ETFs out there. And QCon is one of them. Just mm -hmm. for a little background, we launched, we've only launched ETFs roughly four and a quarter years ago right now. And we've amassed 32 ETFs with, I'm probably gonna give this number a little bit off because I'm so used to, I'm still recovering from the market pulling back so much, but you're around 12 billion in assets across the board in that short period of time. And QCon is one of the ETFs they will find out there. That'll be the main resource. And there's obviously, if they need to go beyond that, there's, there's a phone number on there they can absolutely call to get more information about our ETFs or just constantly go through the website. There's a lot of resources on there describing all the ETFs and specifically QCon for the call. They can find a lot of statistics that would be helpful. Terrific. While I have you here, Ed, yes. uh, I understand American Century Investments has a unique relationship benefiting an institution dedicated to biomedical research. Can you talk about that? Sure. So. Our founder, Jim Stowers, uh, helped create the Stowers Institute for Medical Research. Um, they're, what they're studying is gene-based and cancer therapies, helping to help people with those types of diseases to, you know, doing research to see if they can improve lives, make people better. But the way we're set up, and um, as far as I know, we're the only ones in the world like this, they own 40% of us. So every year, 40% of our profits goes to Stowers Institute for Medical Research to help fund the work that they're doing. And every year, how it gets there is we pay out a dividend. And since roughly the year 2000, I think the number is the dividends that have been paid out to them equate to about $2 billion. It might be a little bit less than that. I'm rounding up, but it's about $2 billion. And so every year, the, the more we do well for our clients, the better we can do well for society. That's impressive. That's impressive. Well, unfortunately, I'm seeing we're running out of time. This has been a very enlightening conversation. And I'd like to thank you both for taking the time to share your insights with you. I'm certainly looking forward to following the fortunes of QCon, along with the rest of the ETF family at uh, American Century. Uh, any last thoughts, gentlemen? I'd like to thank you for your time, for having us, and, you know, we appreciate it. Terrific. Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome. And I'd like to thank, too, our listeners and, and, and join them to be sure to catch the next Markets Measure podcast when we'll host another leader in the investment community to discuss timely and practical ways to improve portfolio performance. Thank you and have a good day.